Morning, everyone. Welcome to Church Online, which is really for all of us. So as you're sitting in your couch, on your chairs, in the comfy sun, wherever, welcome. This is session five of Doubter's Guide to the Bible. Hopefully you've still got your little printout, because keep following this, because as you read it, it will make much, much more sense as you follow the stories right through. So we're really going to cover the last paragraph today on the first page. Session five, justice for all. So we know that saying, the good God created a good world in which he placed good people to do good works so that they could live the good life. Hopefully you can say that off bat by now. And as we continue to unpack that, that it will become more and more real for you. We know, however, that sin entered the world. And because of that, we are now in an environment where we see ourselves as fundamentally glorious, still reflecting the image of God. But oh, so fundamentally flawed. And I don't know if you remember session two where we had a dark thread going through our lives, through our history, through our story, through all that we are and have this dark thread. I might just put it around my neck just to remind you and me that this is who we are, fundamentally glorious, fundamentally wretched. So we come to the story today And I want to introduce you to a new thread. And it runs from Genesis through to Revelation, all of eternity really, and hopefully right into my life and your life now. And I've called this the light thread. And more about that later. I'm going to have two threads, light and dark. And look, I I would love if you could, at some stage during this week or after the service, Get some threads and make something that will remind you of the reality of who we are and who our God is. You see, during the week, I did try knitting, but I discovered that I was fundamentally wretched at knitting, and it just did not work. But you've got the idea of the threads, okay? And then I tried some kind of weaving, and at that I just had to resort to knots which is a pretty good picture of who we are, knotted. I'm pretty sure you can do better than that. So you have a go, bookmarks, placemats, coasters, bracelets, whatever, and you post it on our Door of Hope page so we can see. So a light and dark. One dark, which is the badness, wickedness, horrific behaviour, exploitation, lies, murder, hatred, war, brokenness, the wretchedness, and the light mercy, the mercy of God, life, hope, light, God's story, God's intervention throughout history and in our lives, even to this day. More about that later. There's actually three things I want to notice, want you to notice today as we come to the book of Joshua. First of all, it's the fulfillment of the third promise 
given to Abraham. And it deals with that third dimension of our three-dimensional living that God has called us to. Way back in our third series, we third session, we actually had Steve talking about three-dimensional living. And we'll pick that up in a minute. So secondly, it's about war and judgment. And this is the book where many people who have a superficial understanding and a shallow ability to read scripture well find think that God is portrayed here as a crazy, angry, hate-filled, vindictive God who's out to get those who are not his, xenophobic, who is even into ethnic cleansing. More about that later. Hang in there. Is this the God we serve? And the third point, the third thing that we'll unwrap today is about justice and mercy. So back to the first thing. It's the fulfillment of the third promise given to Abraham, or it's the dimension. Dimensions one and two deal with the spiritual and social. And already we've seen God at work through Abraham and Moses. Israel had been called, loved, and rescued by God. That spiritual dimension where they could again be his people. And the people were constituted as a nation, as we heard last week from Ben, with their own divine constitution, the law. And he was the social dimension, how to live in community. Here we see grace before obedience. Relationship was renewed through God's grace. Relationship with others renewed through the creation of a new nation. And so we come to this physical dimension, a land. They were promised this 400 years ago, and here they are, ready to enter, ready to go right in. And so God says, go in and destroy Jericho. Was this ethnic cleansing? Was this a random act of judgment? To get land? Whose side was God on? It's a good question. Let's backtrack to the promises made to Abraham in Genesis. I want to read Genesis 15 from verse 12. So if you've got your Bible or something there, you can open or it will be on the screen. Here we are, picking up the story after the renewal of the covenant. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. That's the Exodus story, the Egypt story. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them and in the end they will come away with great wealth. As for you, Moses, you will die in peace and be buried in ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. You got that? For the sins of the Aramites or the Canaanites do not yet warrant their destruction. Yes, they're sinful. Yes, they're a nation that has oppressed and violated 
human dignity and decency. And they would be destroyed for this because 400 years go by and nothing has changed. In fact, their sin has escalated to the point where God, who is slow in anger, cannot tolerate this anymore. And so he keeps his word as a God who says, I will bring death if you disobey. Go back to Genesis 3 for that. He had been slow to anger and the time of repentance had lapped. Now the activities arouse his anger. Judgment comes. So yes, God judges. God destroys. He punishes for continual habitual sin. I don't know when God first gave that promise how long the Canaanites were the wicked nation. But I do know this. It's 400 years later. And their sin, sexual perversion, religious ritual prostitution, child sacrifice, exploitation, oppression, all of that wretchedness and wickedness for the whole nation, which they perceived to be good in their eyes. I want to give two stories from the book of Joshua, just very briefly. You read them. We don't have time for that. The first one is the fall of Jericho, when God had told them to destroy Jericho. And this is, if you like, is where Joshua, an army general, does nothing but walk and march and obey God. But right at the center is a strange and beautiful story. Rahab, a prostitute, a Canaanite who lived in Jericho, was promised salvation for her and her family because this woman believed in the Israeli God. She had faith in what they were doing and she exercised that faith. She believed. And the mercy of God touches her life and anyone who comes into that house and they are saved by the mercy of God. He's merciful to a Canaanite. And that story shows us, shows me that God is merciful. And if there had been other Canaanites who showed that same faith and belief in God, they too would have been saved. How did Rahab find out about this God? I don't know. Stories, rumors, you know what it's like, but she believed. And it was highly probable and possible that others could have believed what they heard. But they banded together in fear and in arrogance that they could withstand. So she and her household were saved. And the beautiful thing is, in the newer part of the Bible, we have her story twice. And you can read about that too. God wished to save the Canaanites, but their wickedness had, begot, had gone beyond what he, God, could tolerate. That's amazing for a God who is patient and slow to anger. Here's another little story. And we pick up this one in chapter 5. 
chapter 5 of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 12. And this is Joshua when he's confronted with a picture, a vision, an epiphany. I'm not really sure how this happened, but he's confronted. Let's read it from verse 13 of chapter 5. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. What was going through Joshua's mind? Friend or foe, seize a sword in the hand of this commander. You see, Joshua wanted to know whether this person was on his side or not. And God intervenes, the angel of the Lord's army, the commander. This can be no other than God because Joshua worshipped and God would tolerate no worship but worship of him. God said, I'm not on anyone's side. And that's a reality we must have for today. He's not on the side of Australia or Tasmania or America or China or anyone else. God invites us to take his side, to come into his kingdom, to be his. And that invitation is an invitation of worship. This is our God. And so here we have this confrontation and the book of Joshua, he's not there fighting for a side which is better, but he's fighting for his own name and his own holiness. Another little word I want to talk about in the book of Joshua and Judges is that little word, all. Don't take it literally. When I hear the news report and says, everyone was at the football... I say, no, I wasn't there. And when I went downtown, all of Lawn System was there. It probably will happen when this isolation finishes. But no, that's not true. It's a way of expressing. But it's not literally true. It's not every single person. We do it. It's an acceptable way of speaking. We know what we mean. And so little, little word all has to be understood because he didn't defeat all the Canaanites. For the, rest of, for the next 200 years, they were still fighting them, coming to terms with them, learning from them, intermarrying with them. And one of the commands given in Deuteronomy was don't marry them. And they have to be there if you're told not to marry them. Anyhow, what I'm saying is this is a story that sometimes is taken literally when we need to read it carefully. What is God doing? And it is a boring book in parts. There's lists of boundaries and borders and distributions of lands and lists of conquests and failures and a whole lot of stuff, which brings me to to another little comment before I leave Joshua. Did the 
Israelites win this battle because they were more righteous than anyone else? Were they the goodies and were there baddies? The answer is no, no. And this is where the biblical story is very different from the story of other nations. Listen to what they wrote about themselves, how they wrote their histories just so different from how other nations brag about their victories and neglect to mention their own weaknesses and defeats. Way over in Deuteronomy, this is what God said. After the Lord has done this for you, this is predicted that it will happen. After the Lord has done for this for you, chapter 9 in Deuteronomy, don't say in your hearts, now the Lord has given us this land because we're such good people. No, no. It's because of the wickedness of other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you're so good or have such integrity that you are about to occupy the land. The Lord your God will drive out these nations ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestor Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And you must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you're good, for you're not. You're a stubborn people. Who writes that in their history about them? A people who know that they're called by God. There's two battles that actually highlight another important truth. You've got the Battle of Jericho and the Battle of Ai. And and, and what happens? Jericho, you see that uh, the army is passive. All they do is march around for seven days, blowing trumpets in silence, I'm not sure how the patience of the Israelis uh, fared during those seven days, but what on earth was God doing? Let alone what were the people of Jericho thinking? But there was passiveness there. There was obedience to the faithfulness of God. God fought that battle. God did that one. And then you've got the next one, Ai, where they're defeated. The same people, people of God, defeated. Why? Because of their failure to obey God. You see, that little dark thread of Achan, that little dark sin of one of the soldiers disobeyed, and it permeated into his family, his friends, extended family, into his clan, his tribe, and the people. And defeat. And that reminds us that we're called to be faithful. We're called to trust and obedience. Grace calls us to obey. Mercy invites us to trust. So we come to the introduction to, to, to this story of the two threads. Mercy alongside the darkness. Mercy intertwined, as in the book there of Joshua. Just a little picture. You read it and you highlight more of the mercy stories. Is it only in the Old Testament that we read about this judgment, this vindictiveness, this anger? No, no. 
We are apt to think that Jesus is all love and gentleness and merciful and kind and forgiving and, well, yes, he's on our side if we're loving. No, it doesn't work like that. Jesus is loving. But Jesus is judge. And if we go to the story of Jesus, we see it in some of the stories, the parables, where seeds grow up and in the end there's destruction. Have a look at Matthew 13 and see how often that is. Yes, there's mercy. There's mercy. At the woman who was committed in adultery, you have sinned through the first stone. Mercy. And then we see right in the last weeks of his life where he stands over Jerusalem. He knows that it's going to be destroyed. He's predicted its destruction. Matthew 24. And he sweeps over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered you as a hen gathers a chick. Mercy and judgment because of sin. And there's warnings throughout the epistles, warnings for the writers there to, in the rest of the Bible, the wages of sin is death, separation eternally from God. Even that wonderful verse that we quote so often, John 3:16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever believe in him shall have eternal life and they shall not perish. One passage I really want us to look at just in concluding and that comes from Revelation where we see Jesus the judge and this is a horrific picture. This is the mighty conqueror. So Revelation 19 verses 11 to 15. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse was standing there its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and in on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. Now that is graphic. That is horrific. That is yet to come. And we're warned. But you know, in this, Jesus, the judge, the conqueror, conqueror with armies of heaven, there's a woe to those who will not repent. But here is the slain one. Did you notice that? He wore a robe dipped in blood. That's to remind us of the sacrifice, of the mercy, of the grace, of the love that he gave himself, his life, so that we might live, so that we would not be condemned but saved. John 3, 17. He came not to condemn but to save. So yes, there's hope, even in the midst of despair. Yes, there's judgment. We wait, we remain faithful, we remain true.
and we pray. Because there is that incomparable love of Jesus, but there is that inescapable judgment. Yes, we know and accept God's love, incomparable, overwhelming, undeserved, indescribable, deep, high, wide, great. Yes, there is justice. Yes, there is mercy. Justice getting what we deserve. Mercy not getting what we deserve. Mercy is always on offer. He's slow to anger. He longs for us to turn and return and to participate and take his mercy. He invites us to return to our maker. That's our response to his justice. Yes, there's victims in this world. Yes, there's the abused, the violated against, the oppressed, the wronged. And they must see evil destroyed or love makes no sense. That kind of love is shallow. And we have a faith in God who keeps his word. We have a faith in God whose love is strong and powerful, who loves the oppressed and vindicates their cry for mercy. He says, come to me and you will not perish. He says, vengeance is mine and there will be a day when I will judge this world. We wait, not with glee, not with vindictiveness, sometimes with sorrow and sadness, but always with the attitude that our God will vindicate himself. He will judge this world. Vengeance is mine, he says. And so with humility and faithfulness, I wait. We trust in our God. We trust in him. So what do I do with this book of judges? I remember judgment, the dark thread. It will be destroyed. One day we will dwell with our God and there will be no presence of the dark thread. It will be mercy. It will be love. It will be hope. It will be humility and praise because of who our God is. Meanwhile, we live with it all tangled up. But remember, our God is merciful. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies, rich and new. Thank you that in our life story there is that but God, who's rich in mercy, sent his Son to die for us, the just one, for us, the unjust. Thank you that you became what you hated, sin, and yet was without sin, so that we might have hope, so that we will not come under the judgment, the awful judgment of our God. And here in God, we trust you that day by day, as we are aware of that darkness within us, we would constantly apply ourselves with your grace. Amen.